Hello, hello. Welcome back, Leading Women in Tech. How the devil are you doing? How is your August? Yes, we're into August. I'm recording this a little bit ahead of schedule, so I'm only speaking about July. <laughs> um, July's certainly been warm for me. Um, I'm hoping your August is comfortable. I know some places have had a bit of a heat wave over the summer. Um, and I hope your summer is going splendidly. Or if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, I hope your winter is going splendidly. But I hope that as we move in to the end of, well, the middle of this quarter, I think September is going to be rapidly approaching. And I think that's quite often a time for renewal and thinking about what we want to achieve before the end of the year. So I'd love it if you're just starting to think about that. What do you want to achieve before the end of this year? Not to get stressed and anxious about but where where were you at in January? How far have you come? Do have a little bit of reflection and have a think about what would you like to achieve for the year's end? And, you know, I always love to hear what you're thinking. So drop me a message, hop on over to LinkedIn, to Facebook, drop me a note. Let me know where you're at. Let me know how far you've come. We need to spend more time celebrating how far we've come. And I would love to hear from you. But let's crack on with today's episode. I have a fabulous guest for you once again. Um, I'm talking today to the fabulous Moira Lethbridge. Moira is an author, speaker, adjunct faculty, and an executive coach. And she is the principal and owner of Lethbridge and Associates. And today I've invited her onto the show to talk about you and your unique advantage. So Make sure you've got a pen handy for this one. There is some note taking because there are some actions you're going to be taking in order to find that unique advantage and figure out how to use it. And okay, here's the biggie. Make sure you stay to the end of the show. Moira is giving something away at the end. And if you want it, you need to listen all the way through. Okay, make sure you stay till the end. And make sure you have a pen handy for writing down what you need to do to get your hands on the thing she's giving away. But let's just talk a little bit more about Moira before I invite her on to share her wisdom. So Moira's approach is pragmatic and action-oriented. She has a passion for professional and personal development, and she helps business owners, executives, and individuals to grow their businesses, do more of what they enjoy, and balance health, well-being, and achievement. What's not to love. Previously, Moira was president and CEO of a professional service firm where she grew the company from five to 200 employees, increased revenue from 3 million to 35 million. This lady knows what she's doing. <laughs> and she was named one of Smart CEOs magazine's Smart 100 in the Washington DC area for three years running. Like I said, this lady knows what she's doing. But in 2018, Myra was given a gift, a pass to fly anywhere in the world on standby for free. Kind of awesome gift. She gave up her rental, put everything in storage and traveled 55,820 miles on 22 flights. She discovered the world is indeed friendly. I think that kind of really spoke to who she is and how she's come to where she is today, which is what she's going to be sharing with you. So without further ado, let's get Moira onto the show. You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast, where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips, and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. 
I'm your host, Tony Collis, tech leisure coach, strategist, and coffee lover. And in each episode, I share my best insights designed to make your success not just simple, but inevitable. Whether you're on the way to the C-suite, an emerging leader, or a budding entrepreneur, this is the podcast you need to become a lit-up leader and turn your tech passion into a career you love. Welcome, Moira. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Oh, I'm so excited for our conversation today. Absolutely. We've been having a good chat before we hit record, and I am absolutely thrilled to have you on the show and to get you talking about the career advantage that women can bring um, and actually really unpicking that. So I'd love for you to start, though, with your personal story, your career history, and how you came to work as an executive coach. Yes. I've always loved business. I mean, from high school, I was the president of Future Business Leaders of America. I mean, that was just, I'm wired for this. I got a business and finance degree, and then I went to work for a startup. And that startup, basically, I got to run it and grow it. And I took it from five employees to 200 and from three to 35 million in revenue. And it was so much fun to, to go through all stages of uh, growing a business, um, putting in the infrastructure, the business development. And then I was, and I've done all executive levels, uh, and I was president and CEO for several years. And I had all the cash and prizes. You know, I had the stay-at-home husband, two kids, <laughs> and a dog, <laughs> a beautiful home. And I had the, you know, the platinum fur-lined, executive compensation handcuffs. And yeah. I was, it was going really well. The company was doing great. And uh, I started to hear this thing that's inside said, is this all there is? And I, and I kept thinking I should be grateful, um, but I wasn't. And I should, you know, I should be happy and I'm not. And that voice kept saying, you know, you have choices. And I said, no, I don't. I'm the, I'm the breadwinner. Uh, I've got to do this. There are no other options. Nobody's going to pay me what I'm making now. And and I started to make uh, choices that was just eroding me. Uh, so the the feather internal voice went to a tap, went to a two by four. I started to get migraines, and I would ignore them. And I say, oh no, no. And the voice would get louder, and then it was a two by four with rusty nails. <laughs> And it was, and at the same time, I was being uh, bullied. And yes, president and CEOs can be bullied. And I just kept thinking, there's got to be a way out, but I couldn't see it because on the outside, I was successful, but I was stuck. And everybody kept saying, Maura, gosh, you're great success. And I kept thinking, what am I missing? And here's what happened. This was my Harajuku moment. And that's uh, uh, a phrase coined by Malcolm Gladwell from The Tipping Point, when something nice to have becomes something necessary. And the company went up for sale, and I knew they didn't need two CEOs. And so I took the leap. Something nice. I'd like to do something different. Mm -hmm. Now um, I was I was on my own, and I was starting this business. And the first thing that happened is that I had a complete meltdown, anxiety attack, because I had oh. lost my identity. Oh, I didn't know I didn't know how to say I. 
because I'd said we for so long. Mm. That was my turning point. And that's when I figured out how to put the light back in my eyes. And that's a vision for my business now. How I got to here was that I figured out I had lost the light in my eyes and I figured out how to get it back. And that's what I do is that I help put the light back in women's eyes. The way I do it is so much fun. And it's in my zone of genius, my innate skills and abilities. This is what I do all day long and what I help other women to figure out so that they don't have to be successful and stuck like I was. Yeah, I I love that story because there's so many powerful points in there. And we're going to come to this zone of genius and everything else that is your zone of genius as well as finding other women's in just a moment. But I really want to talk about a couple of things there that really stuck out for me that I think our audience needs to hear. One, you said that presidents and CEOs can be bullied. And I think for many women, that is an eye opener. Why do you think we have this perception that at the top, you can't possibly be bullied? And then equally, how does it feel to be up there to and to be in that position? The first part is I think that there's a lot of myths out there about when you get to that position of, I mean, whether if you're in the C-suite and operate, you know, at the director level, whatever level, that when I get to that job, when I get that title, then fill in the blank, I'll be, you know, you can't touch me. Not true. It's not true in any position. And that's what I found. And it was confusing. And, um, you know, one of the things that I teach now is the signs of what it is, because a, a lot of women are taught early to go along to get along. I, I certainly was. And that if I'm just, you know, my, it'll be, uh, it'll all be based on the work that I do, right? And if I just work harder, then I'll prove myself. Uh, or, you know, um, if I'm less assertive. So we, we use these, these because of our unique abilities uh, as women, they can also, it's a double-edged sword about, oh, wait a minute. I was taught to go along to get along to be a good girl in the workplace. That's going to get my clock cleaned. <laughs> Don't do that, right? But, but it's, it's really uncovering those career myths that is, it's, they're in the ethers. And then when you can look at them and say, you know, this thought and belief really helped me up until this point. Now it's time to replace them. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a drag. It was a drag. And, uh, and I was, I felt very isolated. Uh, you know, I loved performing at high levels. I loved the challenges. And it was very confusing and I didn't know where to turn. And, uh, and I thought I was the only one. And you know what? Women really face some pretty, um, significant challenges. And, uh, that's why I do the executive coaching in the, in the group coaching so that women can know that you're not alone. Yeah. I, that's a huge part of why I do what I do as well as a coach. I think <laughs> we both understand how lonely it can be and how isolating it can be. And I think, I mean, I would say that almost all of my clients have come to me because they've reached some sort of tipping point. They need something to fundamentally change. Sometimes it's like they don't understand why they're stuck where they are. Other times it's like they want a complete change. And I think a lot of the time at that point, and I'm sure you experience the same thing when they first come to you, they think that they're the only one 
And I mean, it breaks my heart every single time because they're not. It breaks my heart that that is true, that they're not the only one because society should be better than that. But um, yeah, if you're listening to this, hear from both of us right now. You're, if you're feeling this way, you're not alone and you don't need to be alone either. You can find a community, whether it's through me or Moira or something else, but find a community. You are not alone. And um, just before we move on, I also want to talk about that you said platinum fur lined <laughs> compensation handcuffs. So I think it was a pretty good phrase. And then you also mentioned the fact that you had a choice, but you didn't think you had a choice. And again, this is something I want to talk about a little bit briefly, at least, because I think so much of the time we think we don't have a choice. We know something needs to change and yet we feel like we can't. And I see this time and time again. What what can we do to realize we have a choice in that sort of situation? Well, first of all, um, if you have a really dear friend that you can say what's going on in your head, like literally, what, what I, I like to joke with people just to kind of get them to know that they're not alone to say, look, your head is a really bad neighborhood and don't go in there alone. You need some adult supervision, right? And what are the thoughts that are going on? Uh, and when people say it out loud, they go, oh, do they have somebody who can help mirror? Yeah, so what you said is that if I leave this job, uh, then you know I'm going to end up under a bridge. That's what most of my clients will say. And I say, I totally hear you. And there's always five options. The fifth option is always to burn down the building. It's always an option. It is. Yep. <laughs> I don't recommend it, but there's four others before that. Uh, and uh, one of the choices that I, that I think is so powerful is that you always have three options. Yes, no, and I changed my mind. When I do that third one, I watch my clients go, really? Yes. And you can do that all day long. You can do it 10 times before you've had your first cup of coffee or tea. And so our thoughts and beliefs create our experiences. And when we change our thoughts and beliefs, we profoundly change our life. We have amazing lives. However, the problem is, is that most of us don't even know what thoughts and beliefs are getting in the way, let alone how to change them. And this leads to overworking over-functioning, neglecting ourselves, and never being present. And that's what is so foundational for the work that I do, is to help women smoke out those thoughts and beliefs that are unconscious, that are driving them into the ground. Yeah, I think that is a huge part of it. Um, I talk a lot about this as well with my clients. And you see this time and time again, they, there is this barrier that they see that us looking on and quite often I think this is why coaching is so profound actually because we don't see that barrier being as opaque as they do we see it more as a a bit of a shimmering shield that's that's hard there's some traction to get to get pushed through it a lot of the time but like it's not as hard as and solid as they think it is and a lot of the time it's finding the belief that makes them think that that thing is hard and when you bring that down suddenly it's like I have options that I never thought I had. And I think that is such a big one that we all need to do more of. And it does, as you said, it takes somebody external, whether it's a coach like you and me, a mentor or a really good friend, it does have to be somebody you completely trust because a lot of the time you have to be very vulnerable. But I think pointing out to you where that's an artificial barrier you've got, 
I know it's been there for your entire life a lot of the time, but it's artificial and we have a choice. I think that's a big one that we all need to hear a little bit more. I'm so glad that we had the opportunity to talk about that. But let's get on to the meat of the show, which is talking about career advantage. Like you and I have had a bit of a chat about this. I would love for you to explain to the audience what it means to have our own unique career advantage. Can you explain what you mean by that? When you think about the female advantage, our unique leadership approach, is that uh, when we're in the workplace, our, our models of success is usually men. I'm all for men in the workplace, and I'm all for women figuring out those one or two things that they're absolutely spectacular at doing. Now, most of us spend our time doing the things that we're good at. But when you align yourself with those one or two things that you're absolutely outstanding, you can do all day long, also known as your zone of genius, you expand your capacity to enjoy your life. Now, I found out by one of the things I did when I, when I left my last career and started this one was that I, I was like, what am I good at? And my unique ability, my zone of genius is what I do more and more. And I love it and I make an impact. But I, my, there's actually my zone of excellence. Now I'm a really excellent president CEO. I could do that all day long, but it's also where my soul died. <laughs> yeah. Right. And in doing those one or two things, I didn't even know how to describe a zone of genius, what it is, what it looks like. It's not necessarily a title. It's a set of activities you are uniquely suited to do. Well, so tell her, I want to go into like what it takes to find that zone of genius, identifying the unique career advantage as well. But you said something very interesting there that it's not a job title, but it's something that you're designed to do. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us like a little bit more about that? Why is it not a job title? Can it ever be a job title? Um, can you create a job? I'm a big fan of creating jobs. But, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I'd love to expand on that one a little bit more. Sure. Let me give you an example and see if this makes sense. And especially because um, I come from a, a male-dominated industry, and this is about women in technology. One of my clients is a chief information officer and hired me and said, okay, I'm, I'm ready to figure out the next. And we go through, there's four questions uh, that you answer that will help you increase your productivity, meaning, and purpose. And as he's going through these four zones, um, there's a zone of incompetence, the things you're just not good at. There's a zone of competence. You're competent at it. So are other people. Your zone of excellence, the things you want really, the people want you to keep doing, you know, those, mm-hmm. the, the platinum fur lined <laughs> compensation yeah. <laughs> income. Yeah, right. And then there's your zone of genius. When we walk through those questions, his zone of genius is being an intuitive influencer. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He had no idea. So he's got the title already. But intuitive influencer, as we went through these questions, he, he discovered that what I love to do is to be able to, I know where technology is going. I intuitively know it. I don't talk about that because maybe, you know, people will think 
weird, I don't know. But as soon as he said, I just can see where it's going. And he said, I have an ability to be able to share it in a way where everybody can see my vision and agree. He's an intuitive influencer. And so he started to track what are the set of activities that I do during the day that makes me light up, that makes me giddy with joy. And that's how he discovered the shades within his zone of genius. That's really, really powerful to actually track. I mean, I do a lot of tracking with people as well. Like, what do you enjoy? What do you know? Don't enjoy what you need to be doing, what you don't need to be doing. And I think we should all be moving more towards our zone of genius all the time. And it's a journey because the other thing is like these things change, right? Um, I think that's a big one. But I love the fact that you explicitly talk about the shades of genius. So, well, let's let's back up a little bit. And actually, let's talk specifically about how more generally we can all be identifying these things. Because I, I, I could talk about this all day. <laughs> and I think it would be really good to actually hear like, what are some basic steps we can all go through to identify our own zone of genius when we have no clue mm-hmm. whatsoever? Mm-hmm. Well, the first question I would ask is, what work do you do that doesn't seem like work? Yeah, that's a great one. And that's why I do what I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a really great question. The second question I would ask is, what work do you do that gives you the highest ratio of abundance and satisfaction to the amount of time spent? That is a beautiful question. I don't think we talk enough about that ratio enough because there is that abundance piece, but also with the time spent. Because I remember when I worked in academia, like there was a general acceptance that it was 95% slog for 5% like like fireworks. I know, right? There's a reason why I left the academic sector. Um, (laughs) And I think that is the thing. There was that tiny, tiny, like, wow, I just did something amazing. I discovered something that nobody else in the world knows because that's the point of research. But it was so small and it was so small for most people because most of it is what I would call drudgery, like just turning the cogs, cranking the wheel. And you do have to have that ratio between the abundance and the time spent. I really, that's a really powerful question. Thank you. Well, let's move on. Question number three. <laughs> I'm excited now. What do you most love to do? Period. And when I ask this question, what do you most love to do? Uh, my clients will pause and go, what do you mean? <laughs> well, there's the first problem, <laughs> right? Because when somebody asks us what we most love to do, we start to edit. I should answer something that sounds professional sounds productive uh and then i and then i say no if you if you didn't edit what's the first thing that comes to mind and and my clients will give me all sorts of answers like i would garden i'd spend all my time outside uh i would hang out with my girlfriends i would uh i would take a an improv class and then and then the the things are just spilling out right so so i ask if you cannot edit there's nobody listening but you and me, and uh, and this this is for you. Okay, so what you most love to do, the work that doesn't seem like work, the how do you get the highest? What's the set of activities that you get the highest ratio of abundance and satisfaction to the amount of time spent? And finally, the final question is, I'm at my best when I'm. Ooh, I see. I wouldn't even know how to answer that one, and I thought I was pretty in touch. 
with myself. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good one. I'm at my best when I am dot, dot, dot. Love it. So well, wait, how would you answer that question? I'm at my best when I'm creating. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would. Hmm. That's a good one. I, I think either that for me or when I'm with one of my clients, there is something I can be feeling. I'm a complete introvert, right? And yet when I'm having a client call, it just lights me up. Like coaching my clients is it's definitely my zone of genius. But I also, one of the reasons I created a whole load of things I've created in my time and why I have a podcast is because that creation piece. Maybe, maybe I have two things. Oh, when you are creating. So why, okay, I'm picking on you here, Moira. Why are you a coach if what you love doing is creating? Because that's what I do in my coaching is I create, I actually am, I create um, images, phrases, mind maps for my clients. I literally, um, I draw pictures to help them make sense of things. My second book, The Gift of Receiving, all the images um, I drafted and then had a designer tighten them up. See, I had this limiting thought and belief that there was only one creative person in my family, and that was my father. And that when I launched my book, Savvy Woman, in five minutes a day, make time for a life that matters, the morning of, I had an anxiety attack because I thought the bully was going to show up and ruin my book launch event. (laughs) And so my chest got tight. Um, I started to sweat. I called my girlfriend. I said, oh, my God, this is going to happen. She started laughing. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's not going to happen. That was years ago. What's really going on? What was really going on was that I was hitting this upper limit, this thought and belief that there was only one creative person in my family, and it wasn't me. And as soon as I recognized that thought and belief, I was like, ah, right. And I had the best time at my own party. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I, I mean... I love that you bring that to to the thing that you love doing as well, that you bring it to your coaching. I think we could all also see from that that we can bring, even if it's not obviously part of our jobs and we're not like talking about completely reinventing ourselves like you and I've done, that's not everyone's cup of tea, becoming an entrepreneur, running our own business at all. But you can still find ways to bring that in. I love the fact that you bring that creativity into your coaching. I will do diagrams and things like that. I have a whiteboard. Anybody who's ever seen me on a Facebook Live knows I love my whiteboard, but it's not my zone of genius to be scrabbling on the whiteboard. I just, it's a really great tool for communication. (laughs) Um, I love that, but I love that you've brought that in. I really do. So when people have identified that zone of genius, what next? What do they do with it? How can you use that to unlock opportunities? When you get clear, that there's a set of activities, a couple of them that are uniquely suited for you, uh, is to expand the amount of time you do them. So let's say you discover your zone of genius and, and you track how much time you're doing those set of activities, and it's 18%. The goal would be to increase it to 22%, to 29%. Incrementally taking actions to expand the amount of time you do that. Uh, And when you do that through intentionally choosing how you spend your time, 
right? It's trade-offs by design, not by default, is that then you are able to expand your capacity to be to enjoy your success, whatever the next is. And you start to look for those positions based on the set of activities, not on the title. Yeah, that's a big one. Realize the title is sort of, it's arbitrary, right? Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. I think the title, quite sadly, especially in the corporate world, there is sometimes a pay packet associated with the title. But I think especially the higher up you get in executive levels, the, the title is basically arbitrary. I mean, I've had all sorts of jobs and I'm like, I don't understand why that's my job title because it's not what I do, but it's the job I had at the time. So so before we move on from this, though, I'm pretty sure that some of the listeners are thinking, well, that sounds great, but... So what are some of the challenges that we will face as we try and expand and spend longer periods of time in the zone of genius during our careers? Yes, okay. Going back to the foundation of thoughts and beliefs and becoming aware of what's getting in the way. That's what's getting in the way. But let me let me give you three obstacles that I see uh, for your listeners. And this is pervasive with women who are successful, high achieving. The first one is the external problem. And that's because we're, we do too much. Uh, and, and this desire to accomplish is so beautiful. And yet, it also drives us into the ground, right? So this, this desire to do whatever is theirs to do, like, I want to do it here and here and here and here. And then the next thing is they're overwhelmed and disheartened, right? So there's the external doing too much, not intentionally choosing which set of activities to do. Um, internally, we have an internal problem. And we have superhuman, unrealistic expectations of what we can <laughs> yes. accomplish in a day. Uh, we drive ourselves really hard through perfection. Uh, that way I won't get, you can't shoot at me. I'm bulletproof if I'm perfect. Um, self-doubt. And, uh, and, you know, you can say there's self-doubt. There's also imposter syndrome. Uh, you know, financial pressure, people-pleasing, and then uh, misplaced guilt. Are you familiar with that one? It's a big one for many women in tech, I think. The whole so explain to the audience though that what yeah. you mean by misplaced guilt. Right. Okay. So do you know the definition of guilt? Ooh, you're putting me on the on <laughs> I I'm not sure. So it's an interesting one because guilt and shame, I would say, go hand in hand. And I'm not sure if there's a Okay. Are you talking about a psychological definition of guilt, a dictionary definition of guilt? I would say that guilt is a belief that we have somehow failed, but it's a belief. That would be my definition of guilt. Great. And you're spot on. Okay. I like to boil it down to this statement. Did you do something illegal or immoral? <laughs> and... Honestly, 99% of the time, I'm yet to actually ask that question to somebody who hasn't been like, no. Although sometimes they think they've done something immoral, but when I actually poke at it, they're like, no, it's not then, is it? Because I think we've convinced ourselves that it must be immoral because it feels bad, even though like society looking at us would be like, no. Right. And when when they say, you know, I just feel guilty for... Um asking for what I need. 
Mm. And I say, okay, well, guilt is when if you come up to me and you kick me in the shins and I go, ow, <laughs> that hurts. Yeah. Guilt is appropriate. When it's a feeling like I'm asking for what I need and you feel guilty, it's misplaced. And it's a big internal obstacle that women really need to, it's a skill you can build to really undo that thought and belief, It, but it needs consistent practice. So that's the second obstacle. The third obstacle is philosophical. Going back to my um, compensation package, because we are rewarded for overworking and overfunctioning and, uh, and not being present. And, and it goes like this. The thought is, uh, I value only those things that are, quote, productive and revenue generating. And uh, I have to sacrifice my health and well-being in order to succeed, which is not true, but it's a pervasive philosophical message. Yeah, it's so true. Like, I mean, I'm starting to see a bit of a shift actually in corporate America where I think fewer people are really rewarding us for overperforming. I think there's a misconception that we're all rewarded for working crazy hours and delivering like results that are so superhuman. There is that perception. But I actually think I'm seeing a real shift because I work a lot with getting women's um, time under control so they can have time off and time out because the real impact comes from those ideas you have when you're not working. But you have to not be working and you have to be well rested in order for you to have those ideas that then you can take to the workplace and achieve great things. And it's those ideas that are being rewarded. I'm seeing that shift, but it's so slow. It's so incredibly slow. And I do want the audience to hear here that if you are in the position of power, of hiring, of promoting, of anything like that, We should not be rewarding superhuman effort. We should be rewarding the people that take care of themselves because you know what? Those are the innovators. Those are the people that spark great ideas. And we all need to see that shift in culture. Absolutely. So I love that you brought that one out because you can tell it's a little bit of a thing that I have that I think the world needs to wake up to. But I I think there is a shift there. Um. I would love to move on to our Elite Mindset moment. I think we've kind of dug into this a little bit, but just in case the listeners do not know what I'm talking about here, at the end of every episode, I love to share a simple mindset tip to help adjust how we act or think on the topic of today's podcast. And so I would love you, Moira, to share a highly actionable mindset shift that the listeners can make to help them identify their zone of genius. And maybe more importantly, take action on the changes that that they need to make in order to spend more time in that zone of genius. Great. Okay, so here's the premise of this this action I'm going to give your listeners. The premise is that there's nothing wrong with you. You're fabulous, totally fabulous, right? You may have some thoughts and beliefs that are blocking this truth. And And one thing you can do to jettison them so that you can enjoy more success and creativity and love, is to ask a friend or colleague this, what are three characteristics you admire in me? It's called appreciation feedback. There's three kinds of feedback, appreciation, evaluation, and growth. Now, would you ask somebody that question, or does it make you go, 
<laughs> that that's a good point i'm actually these days very comfortable asking that kind of question but because that that's because i'm a coach um and actually it's something i'm in a, a mastermind of other coaches and it's something i actually asked my fellow mastermind ladies literally a week ago because <laughs> i right. was having a bit of wobble hey listeners even as coaches we have wobbles we're human too but i i love that you said that because i don't think i get my clients to ask that question enough even though it's something I've learned to do for myself. So yeah, that appreciation question. And, and here's what happens is that the thought and belief, the reason that we, even, you know, when we're kids and we have, you know, like, Hey mom, look at me, right. That we need that appreciation. I see you. I hear you. You matter. That's what appreciation feedback is. We're the ones giving it. When I ask my clients that question, they usually say puke. Is there another option? And I say, no, because this is smoking out those thoughts and beliefs and it'll give you clues to your zone of genius. Oh, interesting. It, it does actually. Because um, one of the things that comes back to people, for, to me when I've asked people is I'm a very loving, caring, and I also will tell people how it is, but in a loving, caring way that could never be painful. And I sort of view that as my job as a coach. I don't want to hurt someone, but I also do not want to not tell you the truth. I'm here to hold a mirror to you, but I also don't want to cause pain. <laughs> Sometimes a little pain is required for us to move forward. So I get that. But uh, yes, yeah, so hearing, I wish I'd asked that three years ago, I suppose, when I was debating whether or not to become a full-time coach, because I think maybe I'd have made that transition more smoothly because it is today. It is what I do. So I love that question. So listeners, go off and ask somebody that. Maybe that's the challenge for you this week. Like go off and ask someone why they appreciate you. Maybe ask five people. You never know what might happen from that. Thank you so much for that, Moira. That's a really great tip. So have you any final thoughts you would like to share with the audience today? Yes. Is it you can trust yourself and that that voice inside you is your innate skills and abilities and it is guiding you if you're listening to this you know what i'm talking about and give it space and allow you're spectacular at striving now make space for allowing because the universe has your back oh, love it so much Thank you, Moira. Before we finally wrap up, there you have a special announcement for listeners of the show today, don't you? I'm super excited about this one. What is it that you have to share with us? I am giving away uh, three copies of my book, Savvy Woman in Five Minutes a Day, Make Time for Life That Matters. Now, this book, you read five minutes a day. It's uh, January 1 through December 31. And the sweet spot of success in the Venn diagram in the book shows how to balance health, well-being, and productivity in three areas, yourself, your work, and your relationships. And there's a takeaway at the end of each uh, uh, story. And what I love about this is what we did at the beginning here. And I said, what's your birthday? Let me look it up and see what I wrote on your birthday. And so I encourage your listeners who are going to get this book, look up your birthday and see what I wrote and tell me if it resonates. 
<laughs> and I can tell you, Moira did this with me just before we hit record, and I was blown away. I mean, let me let me just tell you this. Given my birthday, there were cats were mentioned. There was listening to your cats, and if you've listened to this show, you know I'm a crazy cat lady. And um, it also mentions PhDs, which you know I also have a PhD, so it was like spot on. Um, if you would like to get your hands on a copy of this book. Moira and I have cooked up a plan, which is you need to email me, email support at tonycollis.com, the same email address I mentioned in all the episodes. I'll also pop that in the show notes. You need to email support at tonycollis.com with your number one takeaway from this episode by 11.59 p.m. Pacific time on Tuesday, August 10th. So you have one week if you're listening to this, the day the show goes live. If you listen to this after August 10th, 2021, sorry. <laughs> but email your number one takeaway to support at tonycollis.com. And we will be then choosing a winner, which I will announce probably in two weeks' time on the podcast because I don't record these. <laughs> like I record them ahead of schedule. So by the time the next episode goes live, we won't actually know the the answer. So two weeks' time, I'll announce this on the podcast. But make sure you drop your number one takeaway in an email. That is such an amazing giveaway. Thank you so much, Moira, for sharing that with the listeners. I am blown away with just how you're showing up for this, how you want to give back to this community. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure the listeners do too. So how can people stay in touch with you, find out more about what you do? And I believe you have a cheat sheet that will help them with their zone of genius as well. I do. Uh, well, first, you can go to my website, moralethbridge.com. And when you sign up there, uh, you'll get a free lesson on how to take back your time in 15 minutes a day. And also you'll get a, you, you can go to the zone of genius. I have a, I have a one sheet that, uh, that you can download that will explain what it is and how you can apply it. Excellent. Excellent. I will make sure that all those links are in the show notes. So if you want to grab a copy of that cheat sheet, head um, head over to tonycollis.com forward slash episode 59, or just look at the show notes in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much, Moya, for joining us today. I super enjoyed this episode. I have just, I've learned stuff, which, you know, I don't always. <laughs> um, this has been so much fun. Thank you so, so much for being on the show. Thank you, Tony. It's an honor and a privilege. Holy heck, people. If you want to get your hands on that book, make sure you drop me an email, support at tonycollis.com with your number one takeaway. I'm not going to say that anymore. (laughs) 11.59 p.m. Pacific time on 10th of August is your deadline, people. I love this conversation. I think more of us do our greatest work obviously, <laughs> when we're in our zone of genius, but it also allows us to feel that life really can be this easy. And I think one of the things I struggled with was when I realized what my zone of genius was and I was operating and I thought, it shouldn't be this easy. It should. <laughs> it should be this easy. So if you've been listening to this and wondering what it's going to be like when you get there, I wonder if you're already there. Is your job easy? And you're looking around thinking, I don't understand why anybody else finds this hard. If that's true, if you're lit up, loving what you do, this is why I talk about lit up leadership, why my lit up leadership academy exists after all, because you should be lit up by what you do. You should love it. You should thrive. And it should feel easy. 
That doesn't mean you didn't have to do work to get there that might have been hard. We shouldn't shy away from hard work and learning. But sometimes the perfect thing that's so genius is when you realize that you can do something that other people find hard. And holy heck, when you get there, it's magical. I really want that for you. So if you want to get your hands on a copy of Savvy Women in 5 Minutes a Day by Moira, make sure that you drop me an email, support at tonycollis.com. Until next time, remember, stay on your tech leadership game, my love. Follow your dreams because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Woman in Tech podcast.